This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, hey, everybody. I'm here with Patrick Grevier, uh, the BVM technician that's been helping us all out for a few years now. Sometimes uh, known as Save On Pat. Yep, on your eBay store. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we, we did the audio interview over Skype or, yeah, over Skype. It was on the phone, back. right. Um, and those never come out as good. There's always a delay and I always feel so bad talking over people because of that, you know, half a second. Uh, so this is great. We're, uh, we're here in this lab, which is making me very jealous even though I have a few of these monitors myself, it's very cool to see all this stuff in action right here. Um, so uh, you have quite the quite the history with monitors and television and everything. Um, I've heard that you've worked at a CRT plant. We all know about uh, you know your skills calibrating and repairing. Where did you get started with all this? Um, my father, who was a sheet metal worker uh, when I was young, uh, also did uh, TV repair. He was a, basically a tube jockey, they called him in those days. Mm-hmm. He'd go to people's houses and, and change tubes and fix their TV sets. Uh, I became half interested. Uh, and it just so happens I was about 15 years old. And uh, through my father, uh, he mentioned that he had a son uh, and at the electronic parts store that he bought his parts at. And um, they hired me at 15. I worked part-time uh, after school. Uh, until I was, uh, until I got out of high school, as a matter of fact, and I worked a short time after that. Uh, so that was kind of my background in parts, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I knew uh, a transistor, which was new then, uh, from a, a tube, which we sold a lot of, uh, and that kind of started it. Uh, I uh, then spent a couple of years in college. Uh, then the Army came and got me in the early 60s. I was drafted. Uh, I spent uh, time at uh, the Pentagon. And uh, I was a cryptographer. Uh, I then was uh, transferred out to uh, Sylvania's Electronics Defense Laboratories in Palo Alto. I uh, was there for a while, and then uh, they opened up Electromagnetic Systems Laboratories in Palo Alto. And I was one of the 25 people that, uh, when they started that company with Dr. Perry, who later became a national security advisor to the president. Oh, wow. uh, I wish I'd have stayed there. <laughs> because uh, that they now it grew from 25 people to over 20,000, and the stock at that time was nothing, uh, which I could have bought, but I didn't. And uh, at any rate, I came home. I finished up in Palo Alto, went to Stanford University, uh, spent some time there, and then came back to Southern California with my wife and my children, and uh, finished up school at uh, Cypress College, uh, electrical engineering. Hmm. Um, then I, I, I kind of did a couple of several things. Uh, I went to work for another electronic parts distributor, ran that for a while. Uh, then I became a, a factory uh, representative for a B&K Precision, the test equipment manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave uh, seminars on uh, how to use their product, uh, how to use a CRT tester uh, to the TV dealers in those days. 
It's, uh, it's rare that you have somebody that has such an in-depth knowledge of stuff that's also able to give the presentations. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a fine skill. <laughs> sure, sure. And then later, uh, in later years, uh, uh, I, uh, was, uh, I owned a rep uh, firm uh, that uh, uh, sold electronic parts to electronic parts distributors. Uh, then I became national sales manager for an importer uh, that imported all types of electronics. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I started traveling to China and Taiwan. Um, uh, then after that, uh, I bought a, an electronic parts distributor in uh, Garden Grove, California. It's called Savon Electronics. That's where the Savon Pat came from. Yeah. Uh, then I sold that uh, and uh, to a Chinese gentleman who ran the business in the ground very shortly. Uh, but uh, then I uh, went to work in uh, Garden Grove uh, at Sony for, uh, and I was writing reports on uh, monitor problems. Uh, when they couldn't fix one or whatever, then I would jump in there and figure it out and write a report for it. Uh, and then along came uh, gaming. Uh, and I started, uh, I retired shortly after that in uh, around 2002. Uh, retired and uh, was really not into electronics at all. I was traveling and doing other things and uh, up and coming a, a guy came to me and said can you fix this Sony monitor? And I said yeah I know that thing inside and out. <laughs> and I fixed it in about 10 minutes for him and he was duly impressed and he says you know I use this for gaming and I said gaming? And I, the only game I ever played was in television I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I'm really not a gamer and mm -hmm. so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And one thing led to another, and then I started buying a few monitors because they were so cheap. Uh, I remember I was buying these little uh, 8010 uh, VCR using the little uh, eight millimeter and a little eight inch monitor. Mm -hmm. I was buying those for $10 and selling them, fixing them, which was nothing, mm -hmm. and selling them for $100, $200. And I thought, hey, this, this keeps mama shopping at, at the <laughs> supermarket. You're not the supermarket, but uh, at, the, at the May Company and, and Nordstrom and those kind of places. So mm -hmm. that was good. And, and then one thing led to another, and I just started servicing more and more uh, for, uh, for people. And I, I thought, I remember a, a marketing professor in college, and he said, never get an increasing share of a decreasing market. And that has stuck with me for years. And here I am. I'm getting an increasing share of the decreasing market. <laughs> but it's not really decreasing. It seems to be growing, yeah. which is kind of a fascinating thing. Uh, it's yeah. old, but it's growing. I liken this. Uh, and in fact, it's taken almost identical path to classic cars. So, you know, that 69 Camaro, you know, by the time the early 80s hit, it was just an old car. And then by the time the late 90s hit, that was a classic that every car not wanted. And... Now they're just going up and up in price. So I think it's pretty much becoming identical to that. And I think it's especially true for things like CRTs that you cannot recreate the experience, at least not for the foreseeable future on a flat screen. I think for things like the game consoles themselves, VCRs, laser disc players, you're getting to a place where you can recreate that, but you, in order to see it the same way you need to, you need to see it on the CRT and it's something that's so hard I've always tried to find a good way to explain it to people and the best I could come up with is that when you're looking at a CRT the scan lines create a depth to the games and even to certain uh, you know certain 480i TV shows but more so on the gaming because of the thick scan lines 
and I just it's not something I've ever seen accurately reproduced. Um, they have flat screens that you could have fake scan lines on that, you know, it's okay, but it's just not it's not the same. So I think uh, I think it's something that's becoming once people realize the difference, it's becoming more important to them. Yeah, I had uh, somebody contacted me from uh, uh, London uh, and wanted me to come and uh, and visit them and talk about their monitors. They uh, they have about 600 CRT monitors that they, uh, I think, uh, put into museums and, and do mm -hmm. whatever with. Uh, but uh, they were more concerned with how do they keep them uh, for the next 100 years? What can they do to them to make them uh, stay good? Yeah, that's a great question. Is there anything that you could offer to people that already have them? I, not that I'm aware of. I, I have never really thought hard about that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, the capacitors are the heart. Uh, that's what makes a, a monitor what it is, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the one item that deteriorates. Everything else in there is good for almost forever. But the caps go bad. So mm -hmm. if it uh, uh, comes time, I think it's just a matter of uh, getting the caps for those models, uh, which is going to be a problem. Uh, I think in the future, buying capacitors is going to be a problem. Uh, they're not going to make them forever. Right. Uh, I would say that 25 years from now, you couldn't buy a 10 mic 50 volt cap. Hmm. Who's who's going to make them? What are they for? Uh, there's nothing that you can buy today that needs a radial lead electrolytic capacitor. You know, I never thought of that. I never looked at it from that perspective. That's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, it is. But huh. everything is surface mounted or less. Uh, nobody uses a really component level uh, product anymore. Uh, there's hmm. and as far as servicing anything electronic now. If you look at the inside of your flat screen TV, there's three or four circuit boards, mm -hmm. and you might find some electrolytics on the power supply, and that's about it. Yeah. So everything else is surface mounted, uh, and uh, like I say, it's going to be tough in the future. So. Other basic tips for preservation? I would, I mean, I would assume it's the basics, like try to keep it out of a super humid place. Uh, unplug it when you're not using it, just in case of power surge. Just basic electronics uh, tips for preservation. Yeah, those those are helpful things. I, I to me, uh, the killer on any monitor is heat. Uh, the cooler you can keep it, the better. Mm -hmm. um, I encourage people to, if they don't have one installed in it, to install a fan in the back of their monitor. <clears throat> There's room you can cut. You can take the back off of uh, most monitors. Mm. Uh, you can cut a hole in in the back and mount a, a little muffin fan. Uh, that's quiet, uh, and believe me, that will help more than anything. Uh, I, this might sound like a stupid question, but do you recommend an intake or an exhaust fan? Oh, always exhaust. You want to you want to get rid of the heat. So make sure you have an inlet somewhere, mm -hmm. preferably on the bottom, uh, or on the you know bottom edge or the sides, but you want to exhaust the heat out. Never blow mm -hmm. something in. Uh, the only reason I ask that is because in the, the company that I used to work for that did uh, medical-grade computers, you know, we had to have things in a very tight place, as sealed as possible, and we did the opposite once. We took air, cool air from the outside, routed it through, and blew it over the hot components through an exhaust chamber going out. But that was a specialty case designed specifically for that. That wasn't, you know. Well, again, in medical situations are normally much cleaner. Yeah, and you, you have to account for spillage and sprays, and you know, right. even just a bleach spray. Whereas, I hope nobody would think to clean their their monitors with a bleach spray. So. Right, exactly. But uh, yeah, so just an exhaust fan. Um, you know, I think 
with the amount of space that's inside of your average PVM and BVM, it seems like a very easy thing to add for even a beginner. Absolutely. And they draw so little current, you can pull 5 volts or 12 volts off of it in many places in a monitor. So mm -hmm. it's not a real chore to do. Now, for people who have capacitor issues on their monitors, um, you do offer both the service for the cards, uh, for BVMs. You, have, you sell kits online. I think you even sell, uh, depending on the model, pre-refurbished uh, um, cards for people that need them. Um, but for for anything past that, so if somebody has a monitor that, uh, you know, they've bought the cap replacement, but it's not still working properly, what do you think the next best step to do in a situation like that? If the cap kit doesn't repair the monitor, mm -hmm. uh, there's really two things left. Uh, one is obviously that in a BVM, it's going to be the power supply, mm -hmm. which goes bad, but rarely. Mm -hmm. uh, the second, of course, is the CRT. Mm -hmm. And you either have two choices. Uh, you can take the monitor to a TV-type dealer that has a, hopefully, B&K precision tester. Mm -hmm. He can test the CRT for you. Uh, if it's bad, then you've got junk. Mm -hmm. uh, the cost of the tube is too expensive to replace today. Uh, if the power supply, in fact, is bad, and the only way to find that out is to stick it in an, another monitor, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's dumb simple to do, but for a lot of people that don't have another monitor, that's an impossibility. Mm -hmm. uh, I offer, if someone sends me a module, like a BVM module, mm -hmm. uh, a power supply specifically, if they send it to me, I'll test it in one of my monitors, the same model that they have, if it's good, I'll send it back to them. I don't charge anything for it. They're just going to pay the shipping. Hmm. So if they don't mind doing that, I don't mind helping out. That's wonderful. If it's bad, if the power supply doesn't work, then I can fix the power supply, and I charge 150 I, I repair That's any fair. module for 150 <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, If it has a part that is no longer available, which is rare, I think I've come upon it once every year or two, mm -hmm. Uh, that's a whole different story. Then I'll contact the customer and say, hey, I do have a replacement. It's going to be 150 or $200 or whatever the part happens to be. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's probably the easiest way to go. For the person that doesn't really have the ability to test anything, I encourage them to take out all the modules, not the input modules. I don't need the, what I need is the ISR module, which mm -hmm. is the input mod or the first module on the left on BVMs. Mm -hmm. The power supply, the vertical, or the deflection module, and the uh, video module. They mm -hmm. pull those four out, ship them to me. Normally, I charge between four and four fifty, and then I ship them back after they're serviced at no charge. Uh, I insert them into one of my test monitors, and I, with the ISR module, I'm then able to calibrate the monitor. Uh, so that I'm loading all of the modules into the ISR module. That's where the memory chips is. Mm -hmm. So when you get them back, you just slide them all in. And within reason, the monitor is going to be pretty well calibrated, both color and uh, geometry. So I, uh, I never realized that, that, that what you're calibrating to is the combination of the cards inside the monitor. I thought it was somehow calibrating to maybe the deflection board running through the CRT itself. Well, it does, it does control the deflection board. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of what the ISR module does. Mm -hmm. uh, and depending on the, uh, the chip that you have in, in the monitor, uh, that is really what tells these, these 
these modules what to do effectively. So if you have the, uh, the modules calibrated to itself, that's half the calibration right oh, there. Oh, it's all right? of the calibration. The only thing that's left is the small magnetics that you involved, that are involved with the CRT, uh, which is going to throw one corner off a little bit perhaps, mm -hmm. or make a little bend or a little bow, mm -hmm. which you can then go in and make fine adjustments to take care of that. But as far as the color level, as long as the CRT is within reason good, uh, it's going to fire right off, and the color should be extremely accurate. Wow! I, you know, I never looked at it like that. Maybe, maybe everybody else does, and this is just a personal ignorance here. But I always assumed that when you calibrate things like geometry and color, you're calibrating that specific tube that you're hooked up to. You're telling the tube what to do. Oh, and and when the different modules talk to each other, that's the that's the calibration. So now they're able to communicate well. So that sends the proper signal out to the TV or to the tube itself. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be perfect. There's going to be little adjustments that you may have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the color goes, the color for games is not as important as somebody that's finishing a film for a movie. Very true. So the color accuracy could be off a fraction, but you would never see it in a game. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the geometry now, you can see that. You can throw a, a hit zero nine five on a BVM, and you're going to see a crosshatch pattern. And if it's not squared up, you can see it. Mm -hmm. Those are minute adjustments you can make. But nine times out of ten, when they get them back after they're completely calibrated, they're going to throw it on there, and it's going to be so close they don't care. It, it could be off a little bit, but rarely. I think that one fear that most beginners have for things like this is. Uh, anybody that's tried to calibrate a CRT for the first time knows that you could try, or even a projector, uh, if you get one side perfect, the other side goes off, and then you go to that other side, and then the side you were just working on. So I do think that many people who haven't tried this before might get a little nervous saying, hey, this is 99% good enough. I don't want to make it, I don't want to mess it up, and now it's 90% good enough because I messed with it. So, yeah, I could imagine a lot of people just being happy leaving that be. Because um, re remember, um, BVMs, uh, as long as we're, we're talking about BVM, mm -hmm. uh, you can load the factory original information from that ISR card into the module. Mm -hmm. And you can put it back to the day it left the factory. That's what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you don't recap it, that reload is not going to be accurate. You can take it back to the original. But other things have deteriorated over the years. So it's not going to match. So it's not going to match. So, so for somebody that wanted to try this themselves, that have the skills to do so, um, to order the cap kits, to, to recap the boards, um, and then would you recommend the next step be to do the factory reset since everything Always. Yeah, okay. after you recap or get a uh, module that's recapped, mm -hmm. you definitely, if you haven't done it with the ISR module already, mm -hmm. you want to take that information and load it into those new modules, or vice versa, load the modules into the ISR. Uh, absolutely, you have to do that. Okay. And uh, this is just a silly maintenance question, but you, you made a statement about the first card being the ISR. I've seen some uh, some monitors where the first very first card is the input board. Does that make a difference? Um, which which slot which card has? No, every BVM the very first slot is the ISR module. Okay, that's so the the slide in card uh, that has the DB9 connectors on it that are right. normally remote access or 
That's where you daisy chain your monitors. So it must be that the BVMs that have that built in where it's not removable are the ones I'm thinking of then. Uh, the only ones I can think of that do that are the, some of the D series, the BVM D14s. Mm -hmm. uh, those don't have a ISR card, I think. Now you're getting me asking. I'm not sure now. At any rate. Yeah. Uh, if it's not built in, make sure it's number one. <laughs> it's the number one slot. Yeah. Yeah. And most people don't count that as a slot when they're counting slots. Uh, the most slots you can have in a BVM is six. And one of them is the ISR card, number one. Number six is always the video card, the RGB card or the component card. Hmm. I wonder if uh, I wonder if over the years in my testing, I've, I've thought a monitor was bad because I had the cards in the wrong slot. <laughs> Could have. We've never yeah. thrown one out. I just uh, moved it to a different pile to be working on. I know a lot of people have problems with the uh, BKM uh, 24N, the NTSC card for mm -hmm. composite and uh, S-video. Mm -hmm. Uh, only because they failed to load the ISR card into the 24N. They hook it all up and it doesn't work well. Mm -hmm. The color's screwy, it wiggles and all kinds of problems. It's because it's set up for another monitor, not the one they plugged it in. Oh. So you have to go to the maintenance and you have to reload that particular input card and load the software into it. Then you're fine. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, whenever you take a module or a card out of another monitor and stick into your monitor, make sure you re reload it. I guarantee I've forgotten to do that at least once or twice. <laughs> now you got me. Now you got my wheels turning, thinking you know which uh, which card from which monitor do I have sitting there right now? So yeah, I've had, pe I've had people home. send me cards that are perfectly good, yet when they get them, they don't work. Mm. And mm. I say, okay, go here, go to maintenance, go to reload, and Oh, it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing, when you, you know you have an ESR meter sitting here, um, is there? So I, I have extensive electronics experience, and at the same time, none, because depending on what projects I've worked on, and when I've used an ESR meter, it's been from capacitors that were removed from circuit, or if I have two of the identical boards sitting there, where I know this one's good, so I'll, I'll just match them in circuit. Uh, is there part of the service manual that tells you anything like that, or would you really need, you know, side kind by of, side? Kind of an experience thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I use an analog uh, uh, ISR meter, mm -hmm. ESR meter. Excuse me. I always I'm always mixing ISR those two. Card, ESR, ESR yeah. blah blah blah. <laughs> At any rate, uh, the ESR equivalent series resistance. Um, I use an analog meter. Uh, I know what those numbers mean as far as from past experience mm -hmm. where it would be. Uh, on the scale it says that a 10 microfarad capacitor should read uh, 10 or more on the scale. Mm -hmm. That's fine. <clears throat> the problem is that doesn't make it good. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good point. If you checked a new 10 mic at 50 volt you would see that it read over 100 or maybe as high as four or 500. Oh really? So, are you going to say that because it, it checks 10 that it's good? That's not true. Uh, ESR is the biggest problem with capacitors. If you have enough capacitors with bad ESR, all your values are really off. The capacitance is okay, but the resistance is too high. So, what you end up with is a bad circuit overall, 
Mm -hmm. because the, the capacitor's ESR is, is in, the, in the toilet. It's just not good. Mm -hmm. uh, so from experience, I, I go over several things. Like a 47 mic is the biggest failure capacitor that Sony uses. <clears throat> the average reading on those uh, is probably two or 300 on my scale. I replace them if they don't read at least 800. So if they don't, and they're not up to snuff, I pull them out. Oh, wow. So, you know, you, you can say, okay, well, in my reading, it's okay. The problem is I had when I had a digital ESR meter, and I never could figure it out. It was not accurate. It would, yeah. it would, it would read the, the, a number on one test. I'd turn around and test it again, and it would be a different number. It was never consistent. Yeah, I've had ESR meters that did that. I bought a cheap one on eBay, and I ended up, I used it twice and threw it out. Forget it. Uh, it would do more I, harm than I, good. I think I, have, I think I have two or three of them. Uh, there's, that, there's another one. Uh, oh, yeah. And I always keep a spare <laughs> on all my equipment. I, yeah. just, I can't stand to have something break. Uh, but uh, ESR meter tells you the story. Uh, at the same time, whenever I replace it, I always pull out my capacitance meter after I've replaced it and I check the old one and it's amazing to me mm -hmm. how you can have a capacitor that has horrible ESR I mean so bad it hardly registers but the capacitance is great so yeah. you know why does that happen and I don't know I don't know why that's interesting but now I mean now at least through experience, you realize that you need to check both in certain scenarios if you're chasing. Absolutely, I, I do that out of just just normally. Uh, yeah, it's capacitors are tough, and and the only thing you can do is with experience. Really, mm -hmm. uh, the more times you've tested something, the more times it's more accurate. Mm -hmm. You know what to look for and, and where it's at. But uh, one thing I'm very critical of is the voltage. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I see uh, a circuit that consistently has bad capacitance, if you analyze the circuit, they've got 16 volt caps in a 15 volt circuit. That's fine, but you're right at the edge. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the specs on a capacitor, most uh, even surface mount caps, they're going to say 47 mics, 16 volts. Uh, very low ESR, fine. Uh, temperature, uh, 105 degrees C, fine. Uh, life, 5,000 hours. 5,000 hours is all you expect to get out of a mm -hmm. brand new capacitor. And the reason is that 5,000 hours is at 105 degrees C. These don't run at 105 degrees C. Right. So they're much cooler, much longer list. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the factory and I believe that when you have a 15 volt circuit and a six volt or in a 16 volt cap, change it and go up to 25. Mm -hmm. uh, just just for fun, uh, you know the baby's going to not have a problem with voltage, uh, and because the capacitor is a higher voltage, the when they build the capacitor, the insulation material be in between the film itself is thicker mm -hmm. because that's what partially makes for the voltage. 
so a higher voltage cap is always the benefit. Mm -hmm. The only problem you run into is then is size sometimes. Physical space. Right. If you've got a tight spot, mm -hmm. and then you've got to be more careful with it. Many okay. of us in the, in the game console repair world do the same thing, where as long as there's the physical space, you know, if you could, if you have a 16 volt cap in there, put the 24 in, because the worst possible thing that could happen is nothing. So, right. in my opinion, there's, you know, no reason not to do anything like that in and, those scenarios. And keep in mind, in, in the power supply situations, uh, capacitance is really not a factor. Mm -hmm. uh, if you got a 47 microfarad cap, you can put in 100 if the space would allow it. It's not going to hurt the circuit. So. Um, you don't have to be quite so perfect as long as the capacitance is a little higher and the voltage is a little higher, you can go for it. Very cool. So, um, you know, many of us who, uh, who want to find these monitors and want to, you know, just because of the age um, and because, you know, most people aren't, can't afford to buy one already refurbished, you know, you find the junk bin monitors and you try to fix them up and some of my friends have had some excellent luck with that. You know, they'll show up with a truck and many places say, you know, we'll only sell all the monitors, not one, because we need them out. So I've had a few friends who are, have a lot of experience go pick them all up and out of 20 monitors get 17 completely refurbished and, you know, they go to, they go to the right places. They go to uh, gaming centers, um, museums, we have a few of those getting in there. So uh, are there any other basic tips or maybe things that questions that you get asked all the time um, that, that are common things that you tell people? So obviously, you know, the capacitors and, uh, you know, check the, the power board. But are there other things like if there's scratch on the screen, do you recommend removing the, uh, the, um, the, the film? The film. Is that the proper, I've heard it, screen protector film? Well, it's anti-glare. The anti-glare. Okay. Uh, and it is, to some extent, a screen protector. Mm -hmm. uh, not all monitors have it. Uh, a lot of colorists that do this for a living, that do film, they remove it automatically because they want a more accurate color. Hmm. So the color, like the monitor you see behind you right now, is pretty accurate. If we had the film on it, if you just hold it up there, you can see what it does to it. Uh, yeah, it, so I'm looking it, at Sonic the Hedgehog looking amazingly flawless on a 14L5. Right. Um, and I'm looking now at a uh, film that, I mean, I, I do realize that it's been out now for a little while, but even the parts of it that are clean kind of look like a not perfectly clean window. So that's what you're looking through is essentially, you know, something that's taking away from uh, the, the, what's actually being displayed on the glass. It's like wearing sunglasses. The, the colors are going to change a little bit. And, uh, but at any rate, uh, pulling off the film is a good idea in, in some cases. Uh, others, if you've got kids throwing stuff at your screen, you kind of <laughs> probably want to leave it on. But uh, not all monitors have it. Uh, keep that in mind, too. Uh, D24s don't have a film. Oh. Uh, D32s don't have a film. Hmm. Uh, so... D20s, F1s, 14Ls, 50, uh, 20L5s, all do. So, uh, and the only way to really verify it is to pull the bezel off and look at the screen, and you can see the film edge uh, that you grab onto to peel it off. But, uh, What's the the best way you recommend to clean a tube with and without the film? It's a, you know, I'm assuming Windex and a paper towel. Without the film, anything. Okay. Uh, it's just glass. It's, mm -hmm. You're not going to hurt it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, with the film, I know the factory says be careful because you can scratch the film or there be some chemical reactions with some cleaners. Uh, I haven't found that. Yeah. Uh, I, I happen to use uh, automotive uh, window cleaner mm. because it's ammonia free. It doesn't streak. And so I give it one squirt and a good wipe down and that really does it. So uh, I think just don't use uh, something ad abrasive, you know, bottom line. Hmm. But with glass, it's easy to clean. Um, with any, uh, any monitor that has scratches, uh, you know, assuming the film is off, so whether it's a D24 without it or you pulled it off, if there's glass with a, a little tiny crack or a, a scuff or something in there, is that even something worth replacing or is that just, just something to live with? Well, you know, I've had people say that they have uh, gone to these uh, glass repair, repair windshield repair guys mm -hmm. and some people have actually buffed out some of these glass scratches oh wow but it leaves a little distortion if you will right where they've effectively smoothed it out because they have to grind it down to get mm -hmm. the scratch out and it's not going to be perfectly flat from then on so no once you get a scratch in the glass not the not the film but the glass the tubes it's done I, uh, on my D32, I have a, a very tiny, uh, maybe a crack, scratch in the glass. And I'm kind of a, a perfectionist with this stuff. Like, uh, if I see something wrong, it takes away from the experience, and I could barely notice it. I mean, even the only time I even know it's there is when it's an all-white screen. Uh, and even then, it's, I, you know, I'd have to be looking for it. It's not something I would normally just see, so. Uh, have, have you done the... Um the uh, calibration on your D32 yourself? No, I have not. Um, I, uh, to be honest, I was nervous to do it. It's such a, uh, a rare monitor, and uh, it looks it looks good enough for now. But I had planned on eventually making sure to, to probably send all the modules to you. To be honest with you, um, but uh, I've had experiences before with CRTs that when you move them, sometimes. Uh, I don't know if I would describe it as the calibration changes, but sometimes it's different. Uh, and I have mine on wheels now. I live in Manhattan in an apartment, so everything has to be on wheels and movable. Um, and so I guess that's the perfect time to ask this question. If I were to have that calibrated and have something like that on wheels, is that going to, every time I, you know, I, I turn it on, I wheel it from one corner of the room to the other, face it in a different direction. Is that something that's going to change the way it looks? Because with arcade machines, Sometimes you do see a difference. And I even sent one from New York to uh, Utah. And when it arrived, uh, the person was very cool and understanding. He said, hey, you showed me pictures of this, videos. I know it was perfect when you shipped it, but there's a purple tint. And it turns out that, you know, because of the magnetic field of the earth, it was all the way on the different. He said he, uh, he ended up rotating it around a few times, then using a, a wand, and it went away in about a day. For things like just moving it on wheels across a, a house or an apartment, do you ever see things like that, or is it really just calibrated and you're fine? No, you do see things like that. Uh, and the larger the monitor, the more pronounced it is. A mm -hmm. uh, smaller monitor, uh, like, like the little 14 behind you right now, you can move that back and forth and you see nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, you take one of these 20 inches and do it, and you'll see a little bit. You take the 24 or the 32 and you see it a lot. Mm -hmm. And it only affects the white balance. So, uh, like your D32, you have in the menu, uh, you, um, you can immediately go there and take all of those discolorations out. 
you ne not necessarily that happens on other monitors. You can do it to a certain extent on the D24. You can't really do it on the F1s or the D20s. Mm -hmm. uh, but repeated use, I'm talking about each day or each whatever, repeated use of turning it off and on uh, activates the degaussing circuit and it pretty well degausses it and that it'll slowly go away. Mm. Uh, but each time you move it, you're, you're right back to that situation where it's been it's been remagnetized. Uh, okay. But again, it, it's usually only on it's it's the white balance that affects everything. It's going to be a slight discoloration in one of the corners. So if somebody has a setup with the monitor on wheels and they have one of those cal uh, automatic calibration kits, uh, what was forgetting the the model number of it. Uh, well, you're talking BKM-14L. There you go, the 14L. Right, which is the probe. They uh -huh. should calibrate that in the position where it's going to be when they use it. Absolutely. Okay. So if they store it in a corner, but they always have it in front of their couch when they're watching or playing, then just make sure to calibrate the white balance there. Exactly. Great. Right. Great tip. Yep. Um, yeah, D24s and D32s are wonderful monitors. They are fantastic. And I'm shocked that you haven't done all the geometry and the convergence on it yet. Well, mine is in, is excellent. So it's there aren't problems. So I've seen, I mean, not as many as you, of course, but I've seen so many of these monitors that I'll walk up to it. And as I'm 10 feet away getting closer, I could spot 10 things that need fixing. And I don't have that on mine at all. It's, uh, it's, I'm sure it could be tweaked to be better, but there's nothing about it that that I immediately see and go, oh, this is you know, it's just driving me crazy. I have to fix it. But it drives me crazy that I hear about a D32 that isn't perfect because <laughs> the D32 is the one monitor that you can make perfect. Really? And I mean perfect. Oh wow! If you want to take the time, I use a ten by loop. Voila. Mm -hmm. And I go to each dot on your D32, mm -hmm. and you can shift the blue, the red, and the green dot, and you can bring them together perfectly. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. And then you do it all with the BKM-10R. Oh, with one's, the, the One's going to be red, one's going to be blue, one's going to be green, one's going to be shift. So each one is going to move it up and down, left and right, up and down, left and right. Wow, that's incredible. And you can go, and you start in the corner, and you do each dot. I, I mean, never it realized. Takes you hours. It takes oh, you I, hours. I, I would have to, yeah. But when you get, and keep in mind, you have four screens on a D32. I don't think I, I've ever heard this. Yeah, you have a 16.9. You have a 16.9 underscan. Mm -hmm. You have a 4.3 and a 4.3 underscan. You probably aren't using the 4.3 and the 16.9 underscan. Right. People rarely do. Mm -hmm. But everybody uses the 16.9 and the 4.3. So you have to do those two separately. Wow. As you have to do the geometry separately. Once you get set the geometry for your 16.9, it's not the same as on 4.3. So, at any rate, yeah, that's, uh, you're by, doing, by <laughs> doing that, you can sit there and you can spend the time. When I do a D32, and I know how to do it fairly quickly, and it still takes me about four hours just to do the convergence. Wow. And minutes after that to do the, the, the rest of it. I mean, as far as uh, calibrating. Mm -hmm. and, but once you get to it, you step back and the picture is so nice. Yeah. You, you start drooling. <laughs>
See, uh, a few friends of mine have uh, been able to take consumer-grade TVs and either take the tubes out and repurpose them for arcade use or do an RGB mod for gaming purposes. And uh, I've personally seen some, some tubes look, I mean, shockingly good that came out of a, a low-end consumer-grade TV. But one of the most common things I see, and maybe my eyes are just sensitive to red, but I'll see the red be uh, off to the side. So it's... it's Misconvergence. Yeah, the convergence is off from that. Um, and I guess on a just a consumer grade TV, there's no way to to go back and fix that. So the thought of doing that on a, my D32 is pretty incredible. Yeah, like I say, you can make that that bottom right hand corner or the bottom left hand corner look just as good as the center. It's, is, it's amazing. Yeah, that is not common for any of those arcade monitor consumer grade not TVs. Not at all. I can't tell you how many that are in that are in arcades that I know of right now that look great in the middle, <laughs> but right. the farther out to the edges you get, the blurrier they get. Wow, that is so cool. I, I honestly never knew that. <laughs> yeah. So when you're calibrating for um, for geometry, does that calibration go across each input? No, it goes across each screen. Each screen. Each of your four screens. So then if you... Uh, can you program different calibration settings for different inputs? So... Sort of. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a way around that. Uh, you have obviously almost 90 input available. Right. Uh, 91 through 99 are test. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can make, uh, let's say you have a game, uh, RGB, uh, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. You like it. Mm -hmm. The size is good. The, everything is good. You leave that alone. Now, let's say you have another game, and when you put it on, it's shifted right, it's shifted left, it's up, it's down. It mm -hmm. needs to be worked on. The geometry is not good. Mm -hmm. The geometry is good, but it's not good for that game. Mm -hmm. What I suggest doing is then go to uh, 4.3 underscan and redo the sizes, which you're not going to use anyway, and widen the picture, raise the picture, change the geometry, move the whatever, mm -hmm. and then make that channel two as an example, that you know that that particular game is on channel two. That's a great idea. Uh, then you, of course, you're going to have 16.9, uh, which you can crush. Uh, you have underscan on 16.9, you can crush or expand or, mm -hmm. or whatever you want to do. You really have four, no more than four. That's still, that is a great idea. Uh, what I've been doing for um, my 20-inch is that uh, the console... I like playing with the electronics more than I like playing with the consoles. But when I do, it's uh, I'll take a Super Nintendo that's 224 by 256. I might be getting those numbers wrong. So if you have one that's calibrated to 320 by 240, obviously it's a little bit off. Um, and I'll just go into the settings and make it wider. Sure. And when I'm done, you know, I'll load up the next one. If the next one doesn't look good, I'll squish it back because... Uh, at least to my eyes, it doesn't seem to throw anything that much farther off. And if it does, I just go back into the built-in settings and, and set it. But it doesn't, um, it's not like a pincushion effect or anything. It's just just vertical and horizontal uh, right, size. size. And it doesn't throw the whole monitor off. So Keep in mind, uh, you do, that's, uh, you have the color setting. And you have a regular and you have color one and color two. Mm-hmm. So you do have some color options on those four inputs, let's say. Mm -hmm. So color or uh, channel one, you could have color two. You could adjust the colors to make it that and record that in on that channel. But then go to channel two, and you might want a different tint 
for mm. whatever reason. So you have three color choices on four channels. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now you're, now you're making me want to go and just play with all of my monitors. <laughs> <laughs> so when, um, when I first got here, you and I were chatting about the different tubes that were in this, and I, uh, uh, I didn't realize that's the way, that's how it worked with the tube assembly. So I don't know if you wouldn't mind kind of going over that again. For sure. Well, I, our, what we were talking about was the 20-inch CRTs that uh, range anywhere from 800 lines, 900 lines, 1,000 lines. And what actually is the difference? Well, in all honesty, it is the same tube. Uh, there are better grades. There's, there's super grade and there's regular grade tubes. And the difference is that these were the premium tubes that came off the assembly line. These were the best. And those are the 1,000-line tubes. Not, not quite so good are 900-line tubes. And the regular ones that made all the specs are 800-line tubes. But they're all the same number, and that includes the tube in a, a PVM20M4, a PVM20L5, a BVM20F1, a BVM20E1, a BVMD20, a BVMD20F1, BD20E1, an A20, Yes, I think that's it. That that's all that, and they use the same CRT, so you can switch. You can play musical chairs with the CRTs, and I'll almost guarantee that you could not tell the difference in the picture when you get through. Hmm. So I've had uh, actually, per your recommendation, uh, I had an A series BBM without the that expensive uh, input card, sixty eight X. Yep. Uh, and a friend of mine uh, that I got to know had a D series BBM with a very worn tube. Um, and he ended up buying the monitor off of me and doing the tube swap to it. And then now he ended up with an A-series with an old tube with composite video input. It was perfect for composite video consoles. Uh, and he then had a D-series with a, I think it had 2,600 hours. Oh, fantastic. Tube. So it was, uh, yeah, he was very, very pleased. So um, for the few E-series that are out there that are supposed to guaranteed 1,000-line tubes, if you have a chassis that's not working, whether it's the input cards, the power, whatever else, can you swap that into a D-series and get get that high 1,000-line uh, performance out of it, or is it the electronics programmed different? It never had 1,000 lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it never actually had 1,000 <laughs> yeah. lines? It's, it, it, most of it's advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to have a D20 with a thousand line tube. Mm-hmm. It, you're not going to see any difference at all. It's going to be exactly the same. Hmm. Very interesting. I've taken a uh, picture comparison of tubes before, and uh, the the single, uh, well, the two biggest differences I notice are age of the tube um, and if the calibration's way off, you know, whether that be capacitors or just somebody calibrated it wrong. But... The age of the tube has always been the biggest factor between BVMs. Um, of course, you could take a consumer-grade Sony with 400 or less lines and compare it to it, and it's a very noticeable difference once in the picture comparisons, maybe not up front. But. Well, well, keep in mind also when you're doing this tube switching, in some cases you can switch the tube and use the same yoke. Hmm. Most cases you can't. In other words, the model, the yoke that's in the D20 is not the same as in the A20. So when you switch tubes, you're going to have to switch yokes. As soon as you switch yokes, you're changing all the magnetics involved in the tube. So you're going to have to go through a whole lot of other adjustments to make the tube really good. 
Interesting. It's not a one-for-one one swap, in other words. So if you end up doing uh, a tube swap, it's you have to really go through the full calibration to make sure you're getting the most out of it. You, you First thing you do is you look at the part number that's on the yoke and make sure it's the same part number on the one that you're changing for. Mm -hmm. Then you can pull the tube out, leaving the yoke attached and all the rings mm -hmm. mounted. You can pull it right out and slide it right in and it's going to fire right up. You're going to have minor adjustments from there. But uh, if you have to change yokes, a uh, whole different story. You just added another hour to the service. Hmm. Or more. I mean, yeah, if you if you don't have experience, guaranteed more. <laughs> yeah. Um, one question I get all the time from people that want that really want to get into these is what's and it's such a general question, but what's the best RGB monitor you'd recommend? And my answer is always, you know, it's a complicated answer. You can't just say one because... Yes, you can. What, what do you... BVM D32. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is a monitor you can actually purchase? Ah, so you can have that. Okay. Um, and for me, the, the 20M2U PVMs uh, are incredibly common still. Um, and from my video game experience, not TV world, they seem to be built like tanks. They accept, uh, when I say every signal, I don't mean 480p. I mean all of the weird refresh rates of certain arcade boards or, or video game consoles. Um, they're, you know, they're pretty durable. And you could at least get them reasonably priced. Unfortunately, they don't have removable input cards, so you do have to take it apart to do the capacitor replacement. But, uh, you know, then I, then I say, I always use the analogy of, like, if you want a really fast car, you can go buy a Corvette, just change the oil, it'll last forever. But if you want a Lamborghini... There's a lot of tweaking constantly involved, and the BVMs are like the Lamborghini. Uh, how far off are those analogies? Am I, am I on the right track? Would you agree, disagree? Well, no, I, I think the BVMs are, they're certainly much more uh, easy to work on than the PVMs are uh, across the board. Is it simply because of the fact that it's a removable card? or they're just... Exactly. Okay. Uh, from my experience, I can look at a picture and I can tell you which card needs service. So I can go to that card, service it, slide it in, baby's working. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't do that with a 20M4 or 20M2. You've got to take it apart. You've got to disassemble the whole damn thing. Mm. You've got to pull the circuit board. You've got to unconnect everything. So you've got a half hour in disassembly right off the bat before you've done anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the bottom line is you put it back together. It has the same tube, but a 20M4 as a, a D20, for that matter. But you'll never calibrate the corners you'll never get the geometry exactly right it'll always be a little tweaked in the on the ends on the edges you'll never get uh, convergence exactly right on the corners of the tube uh, that's also true of the 20m2 which is the same thing with a different tube mm -hmm. uh, the the 20m2 has got the dark faced uh, tube uh, where the 20m4 doesn't but that's essentially the difference. One's a 600-line tube, one's an 800-line tube. Uh, but uh, so the 20M2s and 20M4s, uh, no, they're not as good. But they're cheap. Cheaper. Right. They're getting a little more expensive. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised they're now going for, what, four or 500 bucks for an M4, M2, whatever. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, the best overall monitor... Uh, is probably the D20. Hmm. It used to be cheaper. Now they're getting more expensive. Mm -hmm. Now they're 1500 plus. Mm -hmm. uh, only because it does everything. 
it'll go from 240 all the way to 1080i. Mm -hmm. So that's the good part. As far as a nice monitor, I still like the uh, 20F1U. That's hmm. still my favorite monitor, only because it's halfway between the D20 and the D32. As far as calibration and adjusting for convergence, you have a lot more ability on the F1 on convergence than you do the D20. Oh, really? So uh, I prefer, convergence-wise, uh, calibration, I prefer the F. So the exact model number is the BVM20F1U? Correct. Not D20F1U. D20FU is the same thing as an F1U, only it's got high def. 480p. Yeah, or, or higher, right. Yeah. It does high def where the uh, 20F1 is only going to do 240 and 480. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's done. But it, the adjustments that it has for convergence are better than the D20. Wow. So even though, I mean, even though this, like we have sitting here, D20 F1U doesn't have as many um, mm. convergence options as just the plain old uh, 20 F1U. Correct. Wow. I never realized that. Right. So you can, that doesn't mean that this is going to have a, a, a less of a good picture than the F1 or the F1 is going to have less mm. of the D. It means that it can't be made as good. So it may be good right out of the bag. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you don't have to worry about anything. It's working great. The convergence, the calibration is great. But if it's off a little bit, the 20F1, you can tweak. So I really prefer the F1U. Interesting. Can you still find any of these anywhere anymore, or is it just uh, really they, just look at uh, eBay and, and hope They that... keep popping up. Uh, I, I, you're familiar with uh, Nick, uh, the guy that uh, has the store out here in Huntington Beach that sells so many monitors? Which store is that? Uh, I forgot the name of his company now. This. There is one person I always see in Huntington Beach selling BVMs. Right. Okay, that's him. His name is Nick, mm -hmm. a young man, 23, 24 years old, a real entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And uh, he now has, I think, about 500 monitors in stock. Oh, wow. He just bought 300. They just arrived last week. Um, the week before, he had two or 300 come in, or a few weeks before that, he had several hundred come in. Mm -hmm. And this is across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, all sizes, all types, uh, got everything. And these all came from a uh, rental uh, place in Las Vegas, hmm. So, which is great. Uh, I recommend that you, anybody that can buy a monitor from a rental place, do it. Because it probably has less overall hours than a studio that left it on 24-7. Chances are it's probably a little more beat up mm -hmm. as far as the handles or the case or the whatever. But sometimes they come in cases and mm -hmm. they're in great shape. But overall, they have lower hours, and that's the key. Uh, some of them do their own service, which is, could be good and it could be bad. Mm -hmm. uh, the smaller rental places use Sony service, which is good, pretty good. Mm -hmm. And some of the guys that do their own, maybe not so good. But overall, it's, they're usually good buys. Uh, he has a lot of monitors. Uh, I believe he usually lists them for 1500 and up. Yeah, he, but he's got a big investment. Uh, he's in the last several months, I think he's spent over a hundred grand on monitors. Wow. So, you know, he, he's, he's in business. He's doing what he's doing. Got to make money. The biggest Do you know problem. If he's calibrating those before? He does come? not. Okay. He does, he does nothing to them uh, other than ship them. Mm -hmm. uh, right now I have one, two, three 
that belong to him. Mm -hmm. These are what has, a customer has bought one of these monitors mm -hmm. and is paying Nick an extra for me to service them, hmm. which I'm doing. So uh, then I give them back to Nick and Nick ships them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the problems arise. Yeah, I was just going to say, shipping terrifies me. I um, I had a friend who works at a shipping company, two, two shipped out, a 14M2U that arrived in perfect condition and a 20M2U that was pretty much, the case was destroyed. Um, we were able to, the metal was bent, bent in, touching a circuit board. We were able to bend that back out, fired right up, looked perfect still. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, the little handles on the front of the uh, M-series, those, I mean, those are metal and those snapped that it got dropped so hard, so... Well, those are, unfortunately, they're screwed in from the rear just in plastic, and right. the plastic breaks yeah. very easily. But, I mean, the, it was heartbreaking. That was one that was just been fully restored by somebody oh. that took the time to really do it as best as as he could, did a great job. And So I guess, do you recommend people buy or at least uh, purchase and then ship back any of the flight cases that come with it? Well, obviously, the roller cases are the best way to ship a monitor. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, there's their foam all around the inside, so they'll take a fair amount of, of, of banging, if you will. Mm -hmm. Personally, my experience has been uh, about two, three years, two and a half years ago, I stopped shipping via FedEx and UPS. Mm -hmm. I refused to do it. Uh, I would, it got to the point where 50% of whatever I was shipping was coming through broken. Oh. And all that's because of FedEx and UPS's upgrade to automation. They now take them off the truck, they roll them or push them or slide them onto the conveyor. The conveyor runs along, they drop six feet down and then go on another conveyor, drop six feet down. And then they get on a truck and uh, I'll never ship to New York again. <laughs> uh, I know what happened the last time I shipped a, a 20F1U that was perfect had 3000 hours on it oh. shipped it to a guy and he says he looked outside when the ups guy came up and he pushed it out the back of the truck <laughs> on the ground oh no and it came through busted the crt oh uh, that's heartbreaking i tell me about it hey, that's what i complain about is oh. you're 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 breaking or destroying a non source you can't get another one like that i mean they're gone forever you know, I'd feel bad if somebody took a new TCL TV and did that, where you could go, oh, that stinks, and then press a button on Amazon, and the next day it appears. But that, you can't, I mean, these are, there's a finite number of these left in the world. So if you're going to ship by FedEx or UPS, several hints. Uh, take it to a FedEx or UPS store and let them pack it and ship it. Mm -hmm. It's probably 50-50 it's going to get destroyed. But you're fully insured. They can't argue about the claim because they packed it. Mm. And keep in mind that FedEx or UPS doesn't pay the claim. The franchisee that shipped it for you is the one that has to pay. So after you do it a few times, they kind of back away <laughs> because they don't want to ship it anymore. They know what's going to happen. But a couple of hints. Number one, you have to use uh, double wall boxes. Mm -hmm. You have to use two boxes. Mm -hmm. You have to use lots of rubber or foam or padding or something, at least two inches worth, all the way around the monitor. So I would assume definitely not bubble wrap, foam and You rubber. can use bubble wrap all the way around, oh, but okay. then make sure it's in a box that's inside of a box. 
Um, okay. If you don't do that, believe me, UPS and FedEx is the same thing. The very first time you file the claim, they're going to ignore it. They're going to say, no, we decline the claim for whatever reason. Hmm. But if you do the double box and make sure the boxes say on them that they're good for the weight that you have included. The boxes I use for the 20Fs and the Ds and the As, they're all 95 pounds internal. That's mm -hmm. the weight of the, what's in the box. Even though it says 150 or 250 pounds on the box, that's the breaking weight, but the internal weight. UPS and FedEx gets very snippety about that. That's, that's a good tip. one of the things that they say, okay, we don't have to pay. Because mm -hmm. you put it, don't ever use a used box. They can decline the claim because it's a used carton. Oh, wow. I didn't, I never That's heard right. That. That's another sticker. And because hmm. uh, believe me, they have all kinds of ways to deny the claim. That's what they're professionals at. I'm still fighting insurership from almost six months ago from that 20M2U. It's, uh, and it's, it's brutal. Every time they say they're going to, all right, you know, we'll send a letter out and then I'm, Three weeks go by and they never sent anything. I have to go to them. That's, you know, it's, they're not in business to hand money to people. They're in business to take money from people. So I've been stinks. servicing more monitors of late than I have been selling them. Hmm. And part of the reason is shipping. Uh, it's oh. just become a headache. What I have shipped in the last few monitors I've shipped have come through 100%, but I'm doing it a different way. Mm -hmm. I'm putting them in a box, one double wall box, completely wrapped in bubble wrap. I then strap it in the box to a pallet. Okay, a wooden pallet, four by four. Okay. Or three by four. Mm -hmm. I then put it in the back of my pickup truck and I take it down to the uh, main truck depot. I, I use a particular carrier and they come with a forklift and they take it off my truck and it goes onto another truck and it goes to the depot in the city where I'm shipping it to. So mm -hmm. it would go to New York City. The customer then drives down to that depot. They take it off the truck and put it on the ground, and that's his. So palleted shipping they take more seriously. Right. Well, it doesn't get tipped over. It doesn't get rolled. It doesn't get dropped. Right. All those things happen. That's a but, great hint. But it's twice the price of FedEx and UPS, but it gets there. Mm -hmm. uh, I use a company called MoveIt, M-O-V-E-I-T, mm -hmm. and they're in Iowa, mm -hmm. and they're a freight forwarder. Very nice people. Uh, I call him, tell him the size, the weight, height, width, whatever. He says, okay, that's $205 to go from here to New York. Great. He sends me an invoice. I pay it with my credit card right on the computer. And he sends me the labels. And bam, I ship, slap the labels on and I'm done. I take it down to the depot. That's great. I, if you can't do it that way, then they will do it. They will charge you extra and they will come and pick it up. Mm -hmm. They will charge you extra if you want it delivered. Mm -hmm. Both of those things cost money. And to me, it's crazy because if you have to drive down to pick it up, you know that it was handled correctly. If it goes on another truck, comes to you, the chances of it dropping off the back of another truck are high. So I don't recommend the home delivery. Yeah. Go get it. I, uh, years ago, I was able to score a Luva Articos TV. I'm not sure if you'd ever heard of those, but mm. um, the, the high-end fancy shops were selling them for five grand. I got it for two just because it's the right place at the right time. And they palleted it and shipped it. And I had to go pick it up and, you know, lift, lift the 200-pound monitor. I had to remove, you know, take apart the pallet right there in the parking lot, lift it in the sure. back of my truck there by myself. But it, it arrived perfectly. 
then the the people that uh, that I shipped it to said, you know, if, if that's that's how we recommend everything. They said if uh, if it was UPS, that would have never survived. No, so. no, you you cannot ship a monitor today. You could ship a fourteen inch today because mm-hmm. you can just pack the bejesus out of it, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll probably get there. And and you can tell when it gets there, the box is no longer a box; it's close to a ball. <laughs> all the corners are crushed in. You yeah. can when they because they don't pick them up anymore; they roll them. And you know, it's a shame. Yeah, it's it's horrible. But that's why I don't sh- ship as many monitors. I don't buy as many. Mm. Um, it's it's such a hassle. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, I would have rather spent the an extra hundred dollars going through a pallet shipper than waste all these hours arguing. So. Yep. Yep. And a lot of uh, a lot of companies, depending on where you're going and where it's from, they'll supply the pallet to you. Mm-hmm. And some of them will even wrap it for you right at the depot. So, you know, wrap it in foil. I, I use straps. I strap it down to the pallet. Mm. So, and, uh, so um, when, uh, when you're carrying a monitor, um, you know, for people that need to move them, whatever else, uh, is there any kind of rule of thumb? You know, if, uh, many times just because of the width, I would pick it up and then uh, it would be tube facing the ceiling and I would walk with it that way. Um, I've seen people do it the opposite, where the tube is facing the floor as they're walking, which I don't think is good because then they're they're made to put the screen in your belly. Mm-hmm. If you notice the handles and the way they're built, the uh, the handles and the grooves are the balance point. So if you put it in your belly, it's not going to get scratched. That's the main thing when you're carrying it. Yeah. So is there absolutely a do not do? Is there something that you know? Well, never lay them on their back. Uh, that's what you never want to do. On their back, meaning where the inputs are? Yeah. Yeah, never lay them that way. Uh, I just, uh, uh, Nick just shipped a 20L5, and the shipper shipped it back down. Oh. Face up. Oh, what happened? Thought he wanted to save the face. Mm-hmm. Well, when it got there, if you know a 20L5 is just a plastic back, it had crushed and busted the CRT right in half. Just took the neck right oh, off. Oh, all right. So that's just for weight distribution and strength. It's that's, not because the it's, tube should be like It's that. for safety because that, that now you don't have that problem with BVMs and PVMs because right. it's covered up. But uh, the PVMs, you got to be careful. Like these 20L, or 20L5 and 14L5. Mm-hmm. The plastic backs, yeah. Th- those crush, and the first thing it does, it takes out the, uh, the seaboard, the 20L5, 14L5 seaboard, cracks those. Mm-hmm. And bust the neck of the tube off. Mm. You're lucky if it doesn't break the tube. That's terrifying. But the 20L5 and 14L5, that's the biggest fault. That's also the part that goes bad the most. Hmm. Is the, there's a resistor and a IC on those boards that goes bad and shuts the monitor down. So uh, I guess there's... I don't know if it's a myth because I've heard, I've heard both, but uh, some arcades have the monitor vertically so it's mm-hmm. on a side mm-hmm. is there any uh, is there any downside to that no not at all i never thought so either i just it didn't seem to make any difference it'll operate in any configuration if you notice like on the uh the uh even that monitor right there there's no ventilation anywhere except on the top they just want the air to the hot air to escape mm-hmm. uh, if you turn it this way the hot air is going to hit the roof or the side it's still going to exit out the side so, but you, as long as you install a fan as you recommended, then that's I not, recommend a fan yeah. no matter what. Yeah, if you want to keep it long term, mm-hmm. this is your forever monitor, mm-hmm. and you don't want to service it 
uh, fans the way to go. So I've been working with some museums in the past year that um, that are just now starting to realize how important this stuff was. Um, it's kind of funny because it's just like the classic car reference. A few, you know, ten years ago they were looking to get rid of all these things, and now they're realizing, oh, we, you know, we need to make sure to preserve a lot of the better ones. So all the tips that you gave, you know, replace the capacitors, add the fan. Um, other than the D32, of course, are there any that you would really like to see in museums for people to be used as, uh, you know, showing the best example of what a CRT could have been, or, or was, or was at one time? No, not really. No, nothing comes to mind. Just get a good quality BVM, or 20-inch BVM maybe, and, you know, try to get some of the larger ones in there, and that way it's just the best example of what you can get from a CRT. I, I still, uh, again, overall, I think the 20F1U is still the best monitor. I think for gamers, probably the D20 is a little better because it does 480p. Well, for a lot of gamers, 480p doesn't, doesn't come into play. So right. For anything I'm just saying. Some. That's um, why I say some. Yeah. And the people that want HD, mm -hmm. the D20 gives it all. But for the normal 240, 480 guy, F1's the best deal. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to hunt one of those down as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, for uh, the smaller CRTs, the 8-inch ones, I see mm -hmm. all the time. And I have had good luck shipping those. You could, mm -hmm. you know, that's sure. much different. You're talking about sure. magnitudes of difference in weight. Um, have you any recommendations for those? I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, would like a little test monitor or just, you know, are they decently good quality or? Well, there's, uh, there's two picture tubes in 8-inch monitors. Mm -hmm. All. All 8-inch okay. monitors, there's only two tubes. Uh, the standard tube is a 250-line tube, mm -hmm. and the best tube is a 500-line uh, tube. No, it's not 500-line. Maybe it is 450-lines. I'm sorry. We're going back. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, 250 and 450. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, 80-40, mm -hmm. which is the basic 8-inch model, mm -hmm. The 8041 is the one with all the knobs and all the buttons. Mm -hmm. That's 250 lines. Uh, the 8042 is 250 lines, but it has more buttons on it. Mm -hmm. The 8043 MD is the same thing, but it's cream colored and it's the medical version. Mm -hmm. The 8044 is the 450 line model. Okay. And the 8045 is the 450 line model. Mm -hmm. That's the best one. The 80 BV, PVM 8045Q or BVM 8045Q. They made them both. Same monitor. Just one had BVM, one had PVM. Mm -hmm. Same insides. But the 8045Q was the best one. I uh, believe I had one of those. It was, it was great. Nice sharp when you crunch 450 lines down to six and a half, six and three quarter inches, which is actually what it is. Mm -hmm. They're not anywhere near eight inches. But anyway, you cram it down that size, it's a fantastic picture. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the ones that were labeled nine inch, that's just the same that's thing. That's BS. Right? Same tube. Yeah, same tube. <laughs> it's, it's like these 800, 900,000 line tubes. Same stuff. That's, that's yeah, the, funny. The BVM 9L2, or PVM 9L2, 250 lines. PVM9L3 is 450 lines, mm -hmm. but they have the ability to use the 9L3 as an example. You can put a uh, SDI card in. 
mm. uh, and, and an HD-SDI card. I, uh, I specifically got that one because of its sensitivity to certain uh, signals from consoles. So because it doesn't have VCR mode. Mm -hmm. So now I have one that could test the different solutions people are coming on. Ah, so. okay. But I think that ended up being almost $400 after I bought the chassis, the cards, the power supply, and, and all that stuff. So I wouldn't recommend that from for for your average person. But for people building hardware that's that would be the one i, I would say because it's cheap you can ship it easily and uh, you can test your equipment right on yeah the 80 pvm 8044q and 8045q are the best of the eight inchers those two and then of course the 9l3 but the 9l3 you have to have if you want uh rgb or composite you need that bkm 129x card Right. It's too much money. Mm -hmm. That's why the 8044 and 45 are better. Use the same tube, mm -hmm. but and won't do HD. Mm -hmm. It will do 240 just fantastic. It's a good recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I go, I do, on behalf of everybody that I work with, want to thank you because uh, you've been an invaluable source of help and information and uh, a tremendous amount of patience. Um, you know, I've heard stories of, uh, I know some of the people that have called you. I did not give them your number. I, but, I wish uh, you would. I, I don't mind. I would rather you give them my number mm -hmm. than to try to hassle through and tell them how to get to me via my profile, which has my phone number right. on eBay, or trying to send me a message on eBay's server that I can't answer. Mm -hmm. As soon as I go to answer it, they kick it right back at me. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, unfortunately, think of me as a snob because I don't answer them. No, but I try. Not. You know, I try to get back to them, but I can't always get through to them. No, yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody would oh, would okay. view you as anything other than the truth. Your, your reputation <laughs> okay. precedes you. Well, um, that's fine because I I try to help. I really, honestly, try to help everybody. And I'm not out to make a buck off anybody. If they got a problem, I want to help. Mm -hmm. If they've got a problem, they want to send me. I'm going to charge them for it. Of course. You know, but if they just need information, I'm happy to help. I, you know, I'm almost 80 years old. What, what mm. the hell, how, much, how much longer do I got? <laughs> you know, the monitors are going to last me a lot longer than I am. So. Well, I do. I want you to. I wanted to make sure that before I left here that you knew that it was everything that you do is appreciated. Okay. But it's also being um, being saved and archived in the right way. Uh, you know, my, a lot of my friends are, are taking down this information, making videos on how to do it, so that. Uh, we don't have to worry about 20, 30, 40 years from now, museums still have these things working and you know no one knows how to fix them. Um, as you said before, maybe we don't have the capacitors <laughs> to fix them. But uh, yeah, it's appreciated and it's not, uh, it's not going to uh, in one ear out the other. It's, it's all being, you know, you're, you're the teacher to all of us for oh, these things. You're yeah, the BDM well. professor. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's much appreciated. You know, everybody, everybody thinks so. Thank well, you very I, much. I, you're very welcome. I'm just, I'm really happy to help people. And, and, uh, and when somebody turns around and says, oh, man, it works. Thank you. And I feel good. It makes, you know, makes an old man feel good. Yeah, well, you're making a lot of other people feel good, too. Well, so, that's, so. that's good. Thank you. Well, so. thank you very much, Pat. Um, you know, uh, hopefully I get out to L.A., you know, once a year-ish. So hopefully I get to see you again. And well, sure, I'll have a long list of other questions. You're welcome anytime, <laughs> anytime. Thank you very much.